the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan of fullness and time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. All right, you guys can be seated. you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you the verses are obviously up on the screen. We've just read them. But for today's message, it's going to be much like last week. We're going to be dealing with an overview of this passage. And so we're not going to necessarily walk through it sequentially. So if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and turn it there. I, I think that uh, Nathan will try to follow along as much as possible. But if you really want to see what we're talking about from the text, I would encourage you to do that. If you've got a phone, the Version Live uh, app is up and running. The notes are there, and you're welcome to follow along that way as well. I would also just like to point out, take this, this moment to point out, we are using that for more than just me to get notes to you. But if you look on that app and you, and you follow along, it gives you an opportunity to ask questions, to, to give prayer requests, to, to, uh, to interact and, and give us feedback and things like that. So I would just encourage you to take that opportunity. Um, last week... You know, we started into this passage with this, this over, uh, overview, really. It's, it, it was really a view of about 30,000 feet as we walked into it, and we're immediately confronted, may, maybe smacked in the face with this declaration of praise. Paul writes these words. He, he, he begins writing the words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and moves immediately from this place where he typically would enter into thanksgiving for the people he's writing to, and moves then into a lengthy declaration of praise, a, 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 a declaration of his worship. I think that he's enraptured in this moment, that he's just caught up, that he is just his, his emotion is full and his passion is just overwhelming him, and he just starts writing. And we get this, this 202-word long sentence in the Greek. It's one long sentence, 202 Uh, 202 words just piling praise upon praise upon praise upon praise and God deserves the glory we see it it's obvious we can't we can't look at this passage the work that he's done has has brought to us the the reality of his worthiness of our worship and so when we gather this morning when we gathered last week when we gather next week when we wake up in the morning and we live our lives the, the the worthiness of God for our devotion the worthiness of God for our adoration for our praise and for our devotion it, it, it's proven 
You may not like his words. They may be difficult in times for you to understand. There may be things that you don't necessarily want to agree with. But this is God's word given to us through Paul that we might know Paul. That's that's exactly what's going on. Well, we're not really ready, though, to, to dig in. Because in spite of the fact that Paul is writing with passion and emotion, we're still able to see that Paul is also giving us great structure and, 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 and there's, um, it, it's not just like this haphazard worship. There's structure, there's an intention in what he's writing. He, he's being intentional about what he's saying. And so that's what we're really going to deal with today. Again, we're not going to dig into the specifics. We're really going to start doing that next week. But, but we need to just step back again and look at this overall passage to see what God is doing, what, what, what he's about doing. Um, and, and we're going to do that in three ways. I'm going to give you three words that we're going to break out over the, the rest of the message. You'll see them coming. Uh, I'll announce them to you maybe if I don't get excited and, and forget to. But, but we're going to deal first with the message. We're going to deal with the mission. And then we're going to deal with the certainty of it. You know, a lot of things in our life, a lot of things that we deal with in life, a lot of things that we have control over or that we do, we have no certainty. All of our movies, I mean, we love movies with suspense and tension. And we wonder, we, we don't want to know the answer until we get there, right? I mean, people don't read, well, some people do, I guess. I mean, you, you open a book and you just can't wait to see what happens in the end, so you flip to the back, right? I mean, but that kind of ruins it. Well, I don't get up here and give movie references for movies that are in the box office because you'd be angry with me if I gave away the ironic twists and turns of the movie. We like the tension, we like the suspense, But there is no suspense in the gospel. It's certain. And the message and the mission have been proven in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're really going to build out of and look at today. And I'm going to give you one phrase that we're going to see built out through the entire text, uh, uh, the entire 12 verses. That that, that phrase is this, the gospel is the message that reveals to us God's mission made certain in Christ. The gospel is the message that reveals to us God's mission made certain in Christ. The gospel is not just four books in the Bible. <clears throat> in, in fact, if you hear the word gospel and your first thought is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you're, you're thinking too narrowly. You, you've been informed by, by an inaccurate and, and too narrow of a definition. The gospel, these are certainly gospel accounts or gospel records, and we call them the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John, not because they simply by themselves stand as gospels, but because their content conveys God's mission, and because their content reveals God's message, that conveys God's message. The the reality is the content's what makes them the gospel records or the gospel accounts, but don't, don't... Don't mistake this to think that there's no other gospel accounts in the scripture. The gospel is being told all the way from start to finish. You can see the gospel being proclaimed in in, in the Old Testament through the way that God interacted with the Israelites. You can see the gospel being proclaimed in, in, in the prophets. You can see the gospel being proclaimed even in this passage, in these 12 verses, the 202 Greek words strung together are a message that conveys the intention of God's mission that's made certain in Christ. This is a gospel record, a gospel account. I want to just narrow in on one verse that I think helps us see that and see it in general terms for the whole thing. In verse 13 it says, In him... 
you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Let me take a drink so maybe you guys don't have to listen to the rasp. If you do, that's, sorry, you're just going to have to deal with it. Allergy season. Lord loves us. All right, here, Paul, in in this verse, in verse 13, Paul's referring to the the, the message that he and others had proclaimed in Ephesus. I told you last week, Ephesus was a religiously pagan city. They had all kinds of beliefs, but none of them were in Jesus Christ. Paul came into Ephesus and began to preach the gospel. The the, the other other people, his, his his, his attendants and people that served with Paul, that walked with Paul on mission, proclaimed the gospel in Ephesus. And together they made the message known. And, and the gospel comes in and begins to turn Ephesus right side up so that it begins to, to recognize the lies and believe the truth. And it turns to Jesus and begins to wor- worship Jesus and ends up being used in mighty ways. But that's not the only time that Paul, or, or that's not the only place the message was proclaimed. We see the message proclaimed to Paul. Paul was walking Actually, he was riding along to Damascus. He was going to destroy the church. And Jesus shows up, knocks him on his tail, and he proclaims the gospel to him. This message, the gospel, this this message was the same gospel message or the same message that Peter proclaimed on Pentecost morning when the Holy Spirit comes out and just pours himself out on the people in power. And these people begin to profess the glory of God. They begin to just talk about and, 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 and praise God about how good he is and how powerful he is and how magnificent he is. And people look at them and they're, they're like, they're drunk. And Peter stands up and corrects them and says, no, they're not drunk. This is the Spirit of God at work. And let me tell you why the Spirit of God is at work. And he walks through this message in which he proclaims Jesus as the Messiah. And people heard it and they're struck and they're cut to the heart, it says. What do we do? And he tells them to believe in Christ. It's the same message. It's the same message. In fact, it's the same message. These words are just as applicable to you today. See, I I could say these words in verse 13 to you specifically. Saints, here this morning, those of you who are trusting Jesus Christ. Listen, when, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... And believed in him. Your outcome. The work that he's done. The promises that he's made. The blessings that he's provided. They have been sealed up for you by the Holy Spirit in Christ. That's the message of the gospel. So the gospel, it's not just a book, but it's a message. It's words that are meant to be proclaimed and heard. The gospel was never meant to be just us acting out good things. It was never meant to be us just doing good works. Oh, maybe you've heard it. I mean, we, we, we use this, I think, to try to justify ourselves so that we don't have to do the hard work or take the, 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 the scary or, or, or fearful step of proclaiming the words. And you've known good-intentioned, well-intentioned Christians that have made this their favorite quote. Preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. And we really like that quote because it relieves some tension. And it helps us justify. 
not sharing the message, not, not, not proclaiming the message. Oh, we can just preach the gospel with our actions. We can just let people know what's going on by, by living it out. And we reach back into, into uh, ancient church history and we quote dead guys. St. Francis of Assisi is who this is accredited to. Preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. Well, there's two things we need to understand about this. First, St. Francis of Assisi never said that. People have scoured his writings. They've scoured his teachings. They've, they've looked at the, the things that his followers t- said. They can't find it. That's not his quote. Historians think that what has happened is, you know what happens is people follow, and, and, and it's like Twitter for the old days. You know, some, some pastor somewhere along the way, some priest or some, some guy trying to convey some idea takes a teaching from St. Francis of Assisi and made it all about the sissies. We're too scared to proclaim a message. The gospel is a message that's meant to be proclaimed and heard. You see it there in verse 13. Not only is that applicable to you in the sense that it's your assurance, but that's applicable to you in the fact that you only know it now because you heard it from somebody. Paul only proclaimed it because he had heard it from Christ. Those 3,000 believers on Pentecost morning only believed it because they heard it from Peter. Peter only knew it. Because he'd followed Jesus for three years and and had heard it day in, day out, over and over in a number of different contexts, in a number of different ways. And when that Holy Spirit fell on them that morning, there was a certainty and a reality that there was nothing else to do but proclaim this message. Now, I I just want you to, to see just how important this is. I mean, the reality is, is that None of us would really have this message if we weren't able to trace it back to God proclaiming this message. And John, John 1, he opens his gospel record. He opens and he says, he says, in the beginning was the word. It's an expression, the logos, the, 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 the proclamation, the, the speaking out. The Word, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see that the Word is personified, that it is God. And you fall down to verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, Jesus is the expression of the gospel. He's the expression of God's identity, God's message, God's mission. And in Him, we're able to begin to see and understand and he came to the, to the Jews and he says, all that you've believed, all that you've thought for, for generations, all that you've hoped in, you've missed it. You said you longed for the Messiah. You said you're waiting on me. But you're really trusting in your sacrifices and your law, your righteous deeds. Trust in me. That was the message being proclaimed. The, the message it passed on from Jesus to his apostles. The message passed on from the apostles to their followers. The message passed on from those followers to us today. See, it's a message that's meant to be proclaimed and a message that's meant to be heard. Now, I don't want you to hear me saying what I'm not saying. I'm not saying 
Well, let me, let me give you this thought, and then, and then I'll, I'll say this. So without words, without words, we hinder gospel movement and prohibit others from realizing their position in Christ. This is just how important the proclamation of the message is. I don't want you to hear the wrong thing. See, it, I, I'm not saying that God won't work in spite of your silence. I'm not saying that there's a person that ends up in hell because you chose not to speak. See, God's bigger than that. He's, he's more sovereign than you. But this message is the way that God, God has chosen to move his mission. It's important that we understand this. It's important that we get that the gospel is not just a book in the Bible, but it's a message to be proclaimed. It's important that we get this. There's a lot riding on it. And, and I'm not telling you that your actions aren't important. I don't want you to think that, that your actions shouldn't be in alignment with your words. Absolutely, they should. Hypocrites don't do the gospel any good. Okay, I mean, the reality is if you're preaching the gospel and living in, in contradiction to that, you're not, you're not helping the gospel. They, they should work together. They should go together. But the reality is, is that, that this is the way. In fact, I, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm, I'm going to refer to it. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul comes to this place. He's, he's actually given maybe one of the clearest examples of God's sovereignty and salvation in chapter 9, and then he turns and he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they going to hear? He says in verse 14, how are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach? The word preach is proclaim. What are we to proclaim? The message. Maybe, maybe it's a message that looks more like John's message. Maybe it's a message that looks more like Matthew's. Maybe it's a message that looks like Paul's. The reality is they're all proclaiming the same thing. They're all pointing the same direction. They're all saying the same thing. We've got to proclaim this message. See, the thing is, is that we can do all the good works we want to do. We can, we, we, we can, um, we, we can do all the cool events we want. I mean, we can we can do all the cool events we can think of. We can give away more candy than Willy Wonka. We can give away. Uh, we can make more pancakes than IHOP. We can show more movies than Campbell Sixteen. We can show. We we, we can do more. We can send more people overseas than the Peace Corps. And if we don't proclaim this message, we are not moving the gospel. You get it? There's weight here. There's importance here. We need to own it. Are you ready to own it? With me? Are you ready to proclaim it with me? You see, the reality is, is that there's all of us in this room that, that have trusted in Christ. We come to this place where we try to deny that the gospel is a message. We, we try to make it all kinds of other things. We try to remove our responsibility for it. But first and foremost, we need to understand this, and we see it detailed out in this passage. I mean, we wouldn't have this passage. We wouldn't have this teaching. We wouldn't have this declaration of praise if God hadn't used Paul to proclaim it. These words, the, where would you be? The Bible would be non-existent. Your understanding of God wouldn't be there. The gospel's a message. We have to get that. We, we have to understand the importance of it. But it's not just any message. 
It's not just any message. I mean, I can't, I can't text you and say, and, and say, hey, um, Jesus was a Nazarene. And say, because I said Jesus' name and that he was from Nazareth, th- that you should get it. And there's all kind of writings in antiquity. Uh, Josephus, who wasn't a Christian, who was a Jewish historian, mentions Jesus' name. There's all kind of Roman and writers of antiquity that mention Jesus' name, and none of them are proclaiming the gospel. See, there's, there's intent and content that must be there. The gospel reveals to us God's mission, and that's exactly what we see Paul doing through these words. He's not just declaring praise, but he's preaching the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel. When Paul writes these words down, it becomes clear what God's always intended to do. It becomes clear what God has intended to do. Before time began, he already had a plan and process. He he already had a plan in place. It's, It's not like this is plan B. It's not like that this, doesn't, that this doesn't have a place. It's not like God was staying up late at night after Adam and Eve rebelled. And, oh, man, what am I going to do now? i got to figure something out. Before the first click of the second hand, before the first moment that light shone out, before the first words he spoke as he brought the creation into existence, before that ever began, he had a plan. He had a mission. You see, last week we saw his overarching intended goal was to bring and restore worship, to unite everything under him, to bring it back into proper relationship to him. But that objective of the mission is just part of the mission. You see, in these words, we begin to see that, 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 that it's not just this, this one thread, but that, that there's threads that bring together this tapestry of God's mission that we can begin to see the beauty and awe and, and the power of what God's doing. And as Paul proclaims this message, he teaches us that God's mission is made up of three overarching stages. You see it. Election, redemption, and restoration. If you have a a message to proclaim, and it doesn't talk about God's election, redemption, and restoration... You're not considering the totality of the gospel. At best, it's incomplete. At worst, it's totally false. Well, let's just deal with these election. In verses 3 through 6, Paul opens up, and he opens up with that declaration of praise in 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he has blessed us with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Man, that just gets me rushed. I mean, my blood starts pumping. Even as he chose us in him. Before, when? Before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us. For adoption. You see, in these, in, these, in these first three verses, we begin to see that God's mission began before the moment of time, before time started ticking. God's mission was always planned, and he chose his people before it ever began to roll out. Before he ever put it into motion. I'm not a planner. I'm learning to plan. 
<clears throat> my wife will tell you I'm not a planner, even though I do make plans. She doesn't think they're plans because I'm not making them four months in advance. I get a plan in a couple weeks, I'm happy. But then I'm just ready to, you know, but God, before the foundation of the world, here's your justification for planning that far out, baby. God, before the foundation of the world, had a plan in place. And he elected his people. And he made sure that they were going to get to the place that they were going to go before they ever existed. That's humbling. That's beautiful. It goes on, though. It's not just election. It's redemption. Stage one is election. Stage two is redemption. Verse 7 through 14, the rest of this passage, really, Paul describes God's work in the present age, in the, in the time in which we live, in the time in which Paul lived, in the time in which the, the Jews were, were considered, you know, as they were walking in the desert, in that moment when they were in slavery and in captivity, when Adam and Eve were walking and working the land after they left the garden, even in the moment in which they walked with God in the garden. God was going to be working towards redemption. That's the whole age in which we live, in which through Christ, I mean, this is what we see. Paul describes this work, and, and he comes and he says that through Jesus, this is done. Your redemption, that means being bought back. Your, your, your forgiveness of sin, the, the reality that you can know and understand his will is in Christ. His grace that he lavishly gives us. I love that word, lavishly. There is nothing he's holding back. I mean, we think it's, things are lavish when there's a bunch of silk and, and gold and, and, and fancy stuff. Man, I'm going to tell you God's grace lavishly being, being poured out on you, being given to you. It will always beat that out. He speaks of, of our inheritance. He speaks of our inheritance as a present possession through the work of Christ. He, he speaks in terms, in fact, it's, it's almost as if the things that are to come have already occurred. They've already happened. Nobody gets an inheritance until the person that's giving it dies, is gone. It's something comes to a conclusion. I mean, you don't, you, don't, you don't expect your inheritance from your parents or your grandparents. You don't expect an inheritance from it until they die, right? I mean, it would be pretty bold of us to walk up to our parents, hey, I'd like my inheritance now. Try it. Nobody wants to, do they? Because we expect that in the end. Paul talks about it because it's such a certainty, it's such a reality that he speaks about it with a present tense, past tense actually, uh, a perspective as if he already has it. It's already been given. These are all part of God's mission in this time. But there's something interesting that happens in verses 9 through 14 as they're, as they're woven together <clears throat> with God's present tense work. There's something interesting that happens because in the way that the phraseology and terminology goes, you begin to see him weave together not just what is right now, but what is to come. 
He talks about in verses 9 and 10, he talks about the, the mission that God started, the, the purpose in which he lives for, the, the thing that he is doing, and the fullness of time. This moment in time when what we have in theory becomes reality. And what we recognize we have by faith becomes sight. And what we're promised becomes ours in ownership, becomes ours in reality. He's, he talks about it. He's, he's dropping hints. He's, he's saying things that point to the fact that there is a moment coming when what was will be made true again. But what, what God had in the beginning will be brought back together when all things will be united under him in the fullness of time. And that's the work that the Spirit's doing is sealing us for that moment. The work of God, the mission of God, electing, redeem, redeeming, and restoring. And these are the three stages. The three parts of his mission that give us the total perspective of the message that we're to proclaim. So all together we see it, past, present, and future. And, and in it we see God is planner, initiator, sustainer, and finisher. If you ever hear someone proclaiming a gospel that's more dependent on you than on God, beware. Certainly it has implications for us. Certainly we're called to believe in it. But, but, but look at the words of the text again. Who is it that blesses in verse 3? God. Who is it that elects, predestines, and adopts? God. Who is it that redeems and forgives? Who is it that, that is uniting everything in heaven and on earth? Who is it wh whose will is being made known? Whose purposes are being worked out? God's. See, this is the content of the message that we're to proclaim. It's a, con it, it, it's a message that's going to fly in the face of our culture. It's, a, it's, it's content that may fly in the face of things you've believed. God initiated this work. God started this work. He sustains this work. And he finishes this work. How, where else would our assurance be? Where, where else? How else can we talk about what comes in the future as if it's a present present reality. See, our confidence in the success of God's mission is not rooted in our faith, but rather in the sovereign power of God. This is the message, or this is the mission that we are to be proclaiming the message about. Our, fa our faith waxes and wanes. Our emotions, man, they, they move all over the place. For some of us, more than others. Our circumstances are unstable. Our power and control are extremely limited. I mean, you're not even really guaranteed that you get here this morning, right? I was, I was riding here this morning, on the way this morning, and, and, a, and a car was about to pull into another church's parking lot. I'm on my motorcycle loving this beautiful weather. And I'm thinking as I watch them begin to pull over, I'm, I'm watching them. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Thankfully, they stopped. But I could have sworn they were going. 
I'm not even guaranteed this moment. You're not guaranteed that I show up here this morning. You're not guaranteed that you show up here this morning. What in the world? Where else? What else would we want to believe in? What else can we believe in? The world tells you to be good enough. Has that worked for you yet? The world tells you to look inside yourself for strength. How's that working? It doesn't. This is why we so desperately need to proclaim this message. Because it's not just, it's not just the lost world that needs to hear it. It's God's people that need to be reminded of it. You need to know that your hope and assurance are in a sovereign, powerful God who initiates, who starts, who plans, who sustains, and who finishes his work. There's nothing else that we can look to. There's nothing else worth giving our efforts to. There's nothing else worth chasing after and pursuing. Do it. Why do we still do it? Why do we accept substitutes? We desperately need to hear the message of God's mission proclaimed. We desperately need to understand God's gospel message that we can begin to understand and have assurance in His powerful, sovereign mission. How do we know? How do we know that it's certain? How can we be certain that it's certain? Ten times. Ten times. There, he, he, Paul deals with a number of different ideas in this passage. Ten times he comes back to one phrase or a variation of that phrase. In Christ. In him. In the beloved He says God's blessings come to us in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. We are given grace in Christ. We come to know God's will in Christ. We obtain our inheritance in Christ. Our faith is placed in Christ. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. How do you know? How do you you remain confident? Remember Christ. Matt started off the morning just calling you just to recognize, to, to, to start off the morning in worship by drawing close to the cross. We all struggle with doubt. I, there's, there's time, I'm, I'm confident in what God's done in my life. I can, I can point to you over and over and over and over the different ways that he has changed me and converted me. I can show you tangible examples of the circumcision of my heart in which God has removed me, removed my flesh. And replaced it with his spirit. I can, I can show you example after example after example. Just in my own experience. Built out of his teaching and his messages. But, but, but I can tell you that there are times I'm driving along. Or just walking along. And just, just living life. And, and, and a thought pops into my head. This is all for nothing. Is it real? 
But so we all have moments like that. I, I'm not alone, am I? I mean, some, of us, some of us struggle with doubts that are, that are huge. That, that aren't just moments of time passing. But that are eating us up in our, from the inside out. They draw near to the cross. Listen, Jesus' death and resurrection not only makes God's mission possible, but it makes it certain he reigns victorious. He's the certainty. He's the assurance. He's the hope. He's the, the, the power. He's the, he's the, he's the method, the, 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 the engine, the, the wheels that make the mission roll. Every stage of God's mission is made certain in Christ as if it is already done. When Jesus said, it is finished, there was more to be completed, but the work was done. It was certain. It doesn't mean that we're in, in the restored age. It doesn't mean that there, he's not got more to do. But as sure as it is, when you say checkmate, you don't have to move your king or your queen or whatever. You don't have to take the king. Checkmate. It's done. It's finished. It is done. Jesus said it was finished and he meant it. I think there's two things significant that I, I'd like us to leave with this today as we consider that Christ makes us, or I'm sorry, one of them was that every stage of God's mission is made certain in Christ. The second is this, in Christ we're made beneficiaries of God's purpose. In Christ, God's mission is made certain. It's important that we get that. It's the place where we find our hope. It's the place we find our assurance. It's the place we look to when doubt comes. But it's also in Christ that we are made beneficiaries of God's purpose. See, God's work is complete and certain in Christ. But our hope is more than just wishful thinking in Christ. In fact, the Bible never uses the word hope in the idea with the idea that I don't know the outcome. I don't have, I don't have real assurance of what's going to happen. We, we talk about hope as, as if... I hope it happens. I mean, maybe it'll happen. I really want it to happen. So I hope it does. The Bible speaks about hope as confident expectation. See, in Christ, that's where we become beneficiaries of God's purpose. It's as we're brought into him. There are two kinds of people in the world. There's, there's two kinds of people. There's people that are in Christ, and there's people that are outside of Christ. The Bible calls them in Adam. You're always in someone. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. But when we are brought into Christ, when our faith is placed in Christ, it moves us into Christ, and we become beneficiaries of the blessings of God. See, we become experienced, uh, uh, people who have experienced his grace in lavish Forms. We, we become a people who have confident expectation of what's to come. We are a people who can look at the inheritance to come and speak of it as a present possession in Christ. How do I know if I'm in Christ? Because that's really the question I think that comes from that. I think it's one thing to look at God's work and look at the teaching of the Bible and say, well, in Christ, God's mission is made certain. Okay, I can get that logically. In Christ, I'm a beneficiary of, of God's blessings. I'm a beneficiary of God's purpose, of, of his mission. But how do I know if I'm in Christ? 
Let me just ask you a couple of questions. Verse 13, we go back to kind of where we started at. It says that when you believed in Christ, that's where the assurance comes from, that, that you heard the gospel message and you believed in Christ. Do you believe in Christ? Do you believe that he's just the Savior? Do you believe that he's Lord? Do you believe that he's God in flesh? Do you have a longing and a desire to honor him with a holy life rather than making a name for yourself in the world? When, when you hear Paul praising God, is your heart quickened with a desire to worship the God who saved you? Do you have a growing desire to know him? Do you have a, a growing desire to live in obedience to him? Do you have a growing recognition of your sin and his holiness? Those are all things that the Bible demonstrates that it is to be in Christ. See, the, the thing is, is that when we're in Christ, we're not just in him, but he's in us. And he moves in on us and he comes and, and inhabits us. And he begins to change us. And he begins to shave away the things of the world. He begins to cut off the flesh that ties us to this world that, that we might look to him more clearly, that we might reflect him more uh, beautifully, that, that more vibrantly. Can, can you see from the moment of the time that you believed in him, a growing desire and adoration and devotion for him. If you can, you're in Christ. If you can't, you might just be an onlooker of grace. You might just be someone who is enjoying the, the overflow of God's grace on his people. But hear the message. It's meant to be preached to everyone. God, before time, chose his people. And he sent his son to redeem those people. And, and, he, and he said, believe in him. And you'll have forgiveness of sin. You will be redeemed. You'll be bought out of slavery to sin. Your sins will be forgiven. Your transgressions will be no more. And in him, you'll be made a child of God. You'll be adopted. You'll be brought into his family. And all you can do, all you have to do, all you need to do is believe in him. That message is the message we're called to proclaim for the lost. It's the message we're called to remind one another of so that our assurance grows and our confidence and boldness and courage and, and power within ourselves grows so that we begin to look more like Jesus and so that we can walk ready to proclaim his message, ready to describe his mission and point people to the certainty that is in Christ. Let's pray. God, I...
I thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for your, your power and presence in our lives. I thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for coming, for making yourself known, for showing us our sin that we might turn from it, for, for, for revealing to us our brokenness that, that we might, might find our righteousness in you. Father, I pray that as we sit here in this moment, that we find comfort, joy, satisfaction, assurance, courage, all because we recognize that we are in Christ. God, for every one of your saints that are represented in this room, <clears throat> would you just bring that assurance and just overwhelm us lavishly. Uh, let, let, us, let us sense this lavish grace that your word tells us about. Oh, Father. If there's one here today, God, that's looking on from the outside in. You know them. You know who they are. God, would you bring the words of your message into the reality of their, their, their thinking, into the depth of their hearts, and, and bring conviction of sin and hope in Christ. Father, I pray, especially for this church, a church that strives to serve, strives to, to engage your, your, the, the community around us well, to demonstrate your love in our deeds. God, please, give us courage and boldness to, to proclaim your message unapologetically. with the same assurance we hold ourselves in, God, would, would you just give us that strength? Would you help us to step out of the that, that hold us back? It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.